So I'd like to uh, start today with a cold open before the cold open. Uh, a sort of cold, cold open, if you will. How does that work? Well, I've been putting a lot of thought into how we can boost our ratings and subscriber base. And I think I figured out what's missing. You ready? We haven't been turning the charm on properly. Really? So here's how we're going to do it. Is that what you think? Yeah. So I'm going to put the charm on, right? Um, and you'll do like bow chicka wow wow music or, you know, some sort of, you know. Lounge jazz. Yeah, yeah, yeah perhaps? exactly. Perhaps lounge jazz. And uh, you'll just feel it, yeah? Okay, mm-hmm. ready? <clears throat> Hi. Hey, listener. Hi. You're looking right. If you don't subscribe and rate our podcast, I'm going to destroy everything you hold dear. I will call down the legions of Hades and unleash unholy bedlam upon your household. It will be mayhem. Cats and dogs living together. Mass hysteria. Quel damage. <clears throat> Please rate and subscribe. That, that's, that's what you think is going to do it, huh? If it doesn't do it, I will be a very shocked young man. <laughs> right. On to the cold open. So today I'd like to start off uh, with a conversation. I'm not sure that we've had this one before. Stop me if you've heard this one before. Horror movies, I feel, can lose their bite once you've seen a parody of them, right? I haven't seen today's movie, which makes this episode a little bit different. Right. But... You know, I've seen a Family Guy parody of it. I've seen I've seen multiple parodies of this movie, so yeah. I have an idea like what's what's going on there. There's this whole exchange of dialogue in Scary Movie that they lift entirely from Scream. Yeah. So that every time I see the corresponding scene in Scream, yeah. I always think of that. Right. And there's all that that stuff of like Ghostface kind of going, "I'm in the house," and, and in Scary Movie, he's like hiding behind the couch, and, and you can see, see his, his feet. feet. I can see your feet. Ah, wait, wait a second. Wait a second. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So yeah. I, I. I. Yeah. I get what you're saying. <laughs> it's just like very. It's very odd to me to watch a film that I've never seen before, but that I've seen parodies of. So like, yeah. I'm probably just thinking about Family Guy, you know, all the time. Um, but there's I an interesting. There's an interesting line here that that can be drawn between like gently ribbing a genre and being flat out silly. Like for me, it's the difference between something like Scream and Scary Movie, where Scream yeah. is sort of an homage but with comedic undertones. And it's very tongue-in-cheek in in some of its, you know, blatantly flaunting horror movie rules in your face. And something like uh, Scary Movie, which is there to take the piss out of that and ruin it, right? Which is what I said in the last Action Hero episode, actually. Uh, when you're talking about the fine line between uh, between a parody and a spoof. And if a spoof is is, uh, spoofing a parody, basically, you're you're kind of... You're sort of doubling down on, on the comedy and it maybe it cancels itself out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's the... Because uh, yeah. what, what would you say True Lies is? True Lies is a comedy... Action movie. Thriller, action movie kind of thing. Right. I don't think it, it's specifically out to spoof specific things. It does... The Spy Hard is out to spoof that with like, right. the horse... Uh, scene, right. right but there, there are comedic elements that, that kind of deconstruct the action movie mm-hmm. a little bit within true lies whereas a movie like spy hard or loaded weapon one will take entire scenes or setups from from a movie and and re reconstruct them for a comedy set piece yeah um which is yeah it's a completely different thing which is why i think that the naked gun movies are much more uh interesting in that respect as as spoofs because they are 
sort of creating set pieces out of the situations that they've written as opposed to you know lifting things wholesale from other movies which is where the spoof went downhill like you it was basically just like hey that's uh, that scene from that movie. Yeah. You know, and, and it just went on and on and on until like 2005, 2006. It just it sort, sort of, of went away of the gun. Yeah. yeah. It just uh, it just died out. And, and thank God, because nobody was doing anything original. I think Austin Powers was the last good spoof. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's all I <laughs> That's all you got? Yep. All right. Just well, wanted a quick, uh, just a quickity-do. A quickity-do. Yeah. Okay, so maybe it's time to roll the episode. No, no, fuck. Maybe it's time to uh, let's have... No, no, that's not what it What movie are we watching? And, and or... Or it's what afterwards. do we have today? No, hang on a minute. Jesus Christ! <laughs> what is, we need sleep. Someone write a very stern letter to our children, please. Yes, they can't read yet. Let's have an episode. Oh no. What's our seat number? Hello and welcome to What's Our Seat Number, the movie podcast that puts the lotion on its skin. It rubs the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. I've just ruined the intro to a potential Silence of the Lambs episode if we ever do one. Or I've created the lowest rated Evian skin cream commercial in history. Anyhow, I'm Sai, a 3D artist and potential lunatic that measures a 9.7 on the Richter scale of lunatics. Honestly, I'm just a stroke away from another rant about something or other that my co-host and editor will have to cleverly cut around in order to stop the men in the white coats from giving me an enema first and then putting me in a straitjacket. Speaking of things that just slide down without any resistance, my brother and co-host <laughs> has just slid down in his chair as he doesn't know what to do with himself after my intro. It's professional sexy jewel thief and artisan bread burner, it's Johnny Cross! Hey! Uh. Good morning. Hello. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm all right. Yeah. I'm a little tired. <laughs> Me too. Oh, you look like shit. Oh my God, you look worse. I know. You look like the I shit look, on the bottom of my shoe. I look, <laughs> I, like, I look like the thing that slides down without any resistance. <laughs> uh, uh, we like to keep it classy here at Wasn't. We do indeed. <laughs> do you have any movie news for us? Because I slacked off this week and, and, and decided to wanna, work for money. Do you want to just jump into movie news? Yeah, that's what we do, don't All we? Right, well, then it's uh, it's movie news. Movie news. Hello and welcome to the six o'clock muse. If it isn't six o'clock where you are, always remember that while it is six o'clock somewhere, you don't need an excuse. The horrors of day-to-day -day life are enough to open a bottle of gin and drink yourself into a liver failure-induced coma. I am your host, Hans Off the Goods. Coming up next, these stories and more. Child in hospital after lazy parent catapults entire watermelon through his face. Pigeons gather in Times Square smoking cigarettes and plotting the coming of Satan and Christopher Walken will star in new Cockney sexual reimagining of My Left Foot, Me Left Nad. This is The Muse. Did you know that they're making a never-ending story remake? I, I saw the posters, yes. It's uh, currently being shopped around different networks and studios for some reason having trouble settling on home. Why, why is that? Because I was under the impression that it was part of Disney Plus. Is it? Because Apparently so, I it read... says Walt Disney Presents. Oh yeah? Or not Walt Disney, but Disney something. I yes. mean, you can, you can look it up and you can prove me wrong if you want. I uh, don't care. Let's I mean, it's only news. I don't have to have sources to confirm anything. Shit a window. I, I don't, don't care. care. Soda. Um, yeah, it's Disney, apparently. I All mean, right. the rumors are that it's Disney. I don't think it's had an official announcement yet, but, no, uh, but cause, anyway. No, because the last piece of news that I saw was that it was still uh, trying to find a home. And there are several streaming services, uh, you know, in talks. 
Keanu Reeves is confirmed to be returning as John Constantine in a sequel to the 2005 movie Constantine. Didn't see that coming. See, I really think that at some point there needs to be like a cutoff point before you can make a sequel to something. I don't know. I mean, look, I'm sure that we're going to watch it, right? But um, I didn't even like the first one that much. Oh, really? Um, I'm looking at you with disdain right now. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, but it's uh, no, you're, you're fine. You're, you're entitled to your opinion. Thank you. As long as it uh, aligns with aligns yours. with mine. <laughs> So perhaps there should be a cutoff point. I don't know. It's uh, it, it's not about. Are you talking about the age, or are you talking about the fact that people are constantly trying to revive old franchises? Yeah, like if I were to take the whole Firefly thing, right? That there are still yeah. people online who are going, "Oh, bring it back," and it's like maybe in the first five years or so after it was cancelled, maybe. Yeah. But you know, they all moved on and did other things, and now they're older, and you know, it's not. It's move move on. Like there's yeah. been a movie which look. It's very very depressing what happened, but. It's not, it's not even very, very depressing. It's a TV show. Things get cancelled, things you like, and things that, you know, you don't like and don't care about get cancelled, and then you right. don't hear about it because you don't like it or care about it. So I think perhaps Keanu needs to uh, to take a break because after Matrix Resurrections and Bill and Ted Face the Music and the possible new upcoming sequel to Chain Reaction or something like that, he needs to he needs to, to, to take a breather. He uh, likes money. What he are you going to do? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he's... he's, he's garnered a lot of goodwill over yeah. the past uh, few years everybody loves him me included so you know he'll, he'll do what he wants and uh, yeah. we'll we'll line up and pay for it absolutely uh, but i think that in general um the the multiverse is what caused all of this stuff without no way home people wouldn't suddenly be going hold on a second we've had a, a constantine um, a TV version of Constantine, but now we can bring back the uh, the previous Constantine, uh, and 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 we can and we can bring back uh, Brandon Routh as Superman, and we can bring back uh, I don't know, we can bring back Michael Keaton as Batman. Yeah, there's, we can, a, there's a lovely there's novelty, a lot but of like going. the spoof, yeah. it will also go the way of the gun eventually. The other thing I'm is sure the is superhero the, movie will go the way of the gun. Spielberg uh, called it a long, long time ago, and people are starting to get fatigue. real fatigue now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's still been going strong for a very, very long time. But if you think about it, the the MGM musical, the Western, you know, the uh, the the teenage uh, stalk and slash, uh, yeah. you know, in the nineties, mm-hmm. all of those fads went on for a very long time before they died. There's so a, the, uh, it's yeah. interesting because there there are some fads that you're sure that are going to die and they just don't, like the zombie genre in video games, or 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 the Call of Duty games, just. Or Assassin's Creed. Just stop. Make make new. I mean, it, look. As long Sorry, as there's I broke a, down. Please as long continue. as there's a real idea, like No Way Home found a an interesting way to bring those two guys back. But I'm saying those two guys. I'm talking about the two Spider Men. But obviously the villains came back as well. Yeah. But, uh, but I think that um, it. I mean, it's it's kind of tenuous when you when you uh, when you think about it. But it's it's just such a likable film that you know you just let you don't it go. Mind it so much. But I think that in general, yeah, I, I would I would prefer to see some new takes on things. Like I would rather see a, a brand new Constantine. Uh, you know, I'd like to see a new version of uh, you know, like like for example, what J.J. Abrams did with Star Trek. You know, I'd like to see that rather than see old things sort of rehashed and see all of my heroes suddenly yeah. be old and you know, and, and less able to do what they did, you know, 20 years ago. I think that they should have taken Matt Ryan and just done a movie with him because I thought that he was a great um, yeah, yeah, Constantine. Yeah, he, he was a very good Constantine, yeah. And he had the accent and everything. And yeah. He just, he just wore the, he wore that trench coat. 
Anyway, uh, Brendan Fraser is making a very welcome comeback to our movie screens in the movie The Whale. He's been around doing other things, but this is something that garnered a little bit of, um, you know, attention, yeah. attention because, um, you know, he got a six minute standing ovation at the Venice International Film Festival where they screened the movie. Yeah. And he uh, he was very moved by it. Yeah. I think I think that the uh, the article titles um, that describe him as in tears and unable to compose himself are a little over-exaggerated, and well, they just may the we just say, from this very well-established Muse organization, bollocks. That was the Muse. Movie News. All right, Johnny, that's it from me. What have you got? Well, back by popular demand, it's Stop Hey, What's That Sound? excited halloween's coming up and uh, and we're gonna start reviewing halloween movies last year we managed to do two i believe we did mm-hmm. ghostbusters and hocus pocus and this year yeah. we're going to try and get a few more in so anyway these are sounds that are from either scary movies or scary scenes in movies and they are either people screaming or people laughing maniacally Lovely. so here we go here's your first question <laughs> i know the music and i know the laugh bollocks Oh, you can do this. I know I can do Don't do that. That's, that makes it worse. You can do it. <coughs> you want to play it again? Does it help? No, it just makes it bury itself further down, <laughs> but you can play it again. <laughs> I know it. Like, it's so... I know it. Oh, yeah. It's Gary Oldman. It's Dracula. That is correct. Oh, that's why you were doing that. That's why you were doing that. Yes. Thanks for the clue. There we go. Where he kills the baby. Or the the brides kill the baby. (laughs) I could see it. I could see the the red in the scene. I could see the whole thing. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Got it eventually. Okay, so this is your second question. Here we go. Is that Sigourney Weaver? That is Sigourney Weaver from... That is Ghostbusters 2 or 1? (laughs) 2. It could be either. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Is that when uh, Janos takes um, Oscar? It it is indeed. Wow. Very good. That that was... I was was worried for you for a second, but you you, you did it. (laughs) You did it. You did it. Here we go. Very good, you're two for two. Okay, this is your third question. Here we go. Again? Let's let's break it down. What can you hear? Aside from him screaming. The Beatles. No, it's not Beatles. There's something splitting him open. It's not it's not that. It's it's much simpler. No, I don't know. It's water. Water? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, Oh, I know. Oh, I know what that is. Hang on. Oh, I just watched this. Like, ah, oh, it's it's Jaws, isn't it? It's, it's the end Jaws. where he's, he's um, uh, what's ah oh, the the cat the sea guy? What's oh, it's gone. Why is the name gone? It's it's not dependent on you getting a point whether or not you get the name, but it's Quint. It's Quint. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where he slides down, the shark bites Correct. him. It's when it bites into it, he goes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I just watched this. I should have gotten that immediately. I thought maybe it was from the mummy and the beetles are like eating someone. Oh, that is gnarly. It goes on for a little while, doesn't it? (laughs) 
And then he just sort of floats off. So the he? gargling, the gargling is when I saw that as a kid, that's what I remembered. Yeah. Lord. As the yeah. light leaves his eyes. Yeah. <laughs> I know that one as well. Yeah. <laughs> Last of the worst. That's a, that's a fairly... Uh, that's an easy one. Yeah. <laughs> the annoying thing is, is that once I know it, I'm going to get pissed off. Right. Can sort of nudge you in the right direction. Yeah, I I'll suppose, you, but I'll it's just cheating. It's just cheating. <laughs> you can direct me to whether it's... Genre? A genre, yeah. Genre is children's. Uh, it's a Disney movie. Correct. <laughs> One we know very, very yeah. well. Yeah. Shut the fuck <laughs> It's um, it's Jafar when he goes into the hourglass and laughs at yes, it, right? Yes, yeah. yes, it is. His reflection. Let's have the gods extend an invitation. Shall we? Swell. Very good. I mean, not really, because the minute you said, like, children's, I was like, I thought it was Disney before. I thought it might have been it's, Scar or something. No, I was like, like nah. I, I, I mean, these are, these are very... It's hard. It's a hard game. Uh, you're four for four. Here we go. Whoa! That is definitely the mummy. That's Brendan <laughs> Fraser going, whoa! <laughs> Absolutely. Him. Here we go. This is the full thing. Hey, you are. You This is such a good movie. I love this movie. This is number... Question number six. (laughs) Those are the wheelers. (laughs) (laughs) These are things that you cannot forget easily, ladies and gentlemen. The Gnome King doesn't allow chickens anywhere in the Who's the Gnome King? Who's the Gnome King? Oh, I'll behave. <laughs> You're six for six. Okay, this one might give you a little bit of a challenge. I'm pretty sure it will. <laughs> one more time. One more time. <laughs> okay, I'm going to make a guess, I, but I, it's a hard one, okay? Is it Temple of Doom, <laughs> where he's holding the heart and it's burning in his hand? It is Temple of Doom, when he's oh, holding the heart and it's burning God, in his hand. Oh, my God, I get 25 million. There are some nightmare sounds that you just can't get out of your head. Yes, indeed. Question number eight. (laughs) Okay, that's Pennywise. Yeah, I knew that you'd get that one in a second. Come join the clownets. You'll float down down here. We are all down down here. Yes, we do. <laughs> Some of these films are terrifying. They really are. That is a scary movie. Okay. Speaking of um, childhood sounds that you'll never forget, here's your here's your final question. <laughs> oh dear! Oh dear! 
Oh dear. So this is like a nightmare from But it's so great though. Like the the idea of the movie and that yep. whole scene is fantastic. I love it now, but it's the page master. That is uh, Mr. Hyde. It um, is indeed. Uh, is that even where the candle like goes by his face or is that before? No, that's the uh that's the moment just after he drinks he changes, the potion. Yeah. yeah, just after he changes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Locks his head back. You see a shadow on the wall. Doctor Jekyll. Dr. Dr. J. J. My name is Mr. Hyde. You know what's really funny about that is, first of all, that's um, Spock. It is Spock. Mr. Spock. Correct. And the second thing is that... Mr. Leonard Nimoy. You are a merciless torturer of oh, children. <laughs> I am not a merciless torturer of children. I was a child myself. Yes. Well, that was Stop Hey, What's That Sound? And you got four marks. Well done. Hey, that never happens. (laughs) Let's talk about context. Well, let's talk about what movie we're watching today. Yes. Today we'll be watching the classic 1982 haunted house thriller Poltergeist. Polterjuiced. Or poultry gust. It's Polterjuiced. Don't say that three times. I don't know what the fuck's going to appear. You have to just look at that spelling on the box and go, hmm, if Beetlegeist is Beetlejuice, then Beetlegeist. Poltergeist must be Polterjuiced. So this is, as we, as you said in the intro, this is quite unique uh, of an episode. I think we're on, what, episode 24? And we've never done a movie that one of us has seen and the other one hasn't before. Mm-hmm. This is new. So this you have new. not seen Poltergeist. I have nothing to contribute to context. <laughs> you have nothing to... I, I. Well, to be honest, I don't really remember the first time I saw Poltergeist because it's just always been in the background. I remember as a kid, I wasn't allowed to watch it. And then when I did, it, it scared the shite out of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I remember being quite a bit older and... And Investi- the movie was a lot shorter. Sorry, and it was the way you said older. Maybe yes. Thinking about, no. And uh, investigate Man on the Moon. And investigating the uh, the sequels. Poltergeist 3 is not very good. I would not recommend going anywhere near that because the last time I tried to watch it, which was not that long ago, I just couldn't get through it. But uh, but Poltergeist 2 uh, was the introduction of the, uh, the personification, not personification, but the human incarnation of... Of the beast, which is the the poltergeist, uh, the, poltergeist the, uh, the the main antagonist of the first poltergeist. His name is Reverend Henry Kane, mm-hmm. played by Julian Beck, mm-hmm. and he absolutely terrified me. So, uh, so yeah, Poltergeist Two is it's it's an okay movie, but that that guy creepy as all fuck. But this movie is uh, is is pretty good on the scares. But it's a um, it's a it's a bit of an anomaly because it's directed by Toby Hooper, who. You remember I used to call Toe Pooper? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. My context for this movie is the, the, the <laughs> that thing that stands pooper. out is you used to say Toe Pooper. Yeah, because I because I, I mispronounced his name, which has never happened before and not never happened since. Um, but, but why would Toe Pooper be his name? Because it, it's spelled Tobe. T-O-B-E. Right. Tobe Hooper. But like, you, you weren't saying Tobe Hooper. You were saying Toe Pooper. It... <laughs> it, it, it sort of ran into each other like someone who poos out toes I, like I, yes I, I got it thank squeezing you squeezing toes much. out of their their, their, their leathery oh rectum my god leathery rectum <laughs> <laughs> leathery rectum you heard it here first ladies <laughs> and gentlemen <laughs> patent pending um <laughs> Today's episode is sponsored by, by Toe Poop. <laughs> 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 it slides out. 
pieces of comedy there, put them together, make something out of it. Make something out of it. Yeah. So let's go watch Poltergeist. Let's go watch Poltergeist. Roll it. I apologize. love 80s movies you do i do are you saying that like genuinely or? yes oh. so this is they've a- got a certain charm that even when you haven't seen one like you know and you're watching it now you can see all the problems but you know they're 80s movies still feels like an 80s movie so this is uh this is the thing you this is the first time that we're watching a movie that you haven't seen and i have so i get to ask you how do you like it i did like it um there's there's all the usual sort of i don't know complaints that i have about child actors or 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 certain line deliveries that were probably perfectly acceptable back then that would just be sort of cheesy now like things that they that they say so that don't feel genuine but like it's an 80s movie and it's it was a lot of fun and i what was your question what do you want to ask me go on cut across me you twat so my question is, you uh, you said something to me just as we finished watching it there, and the credit came up that said a Steven Spielberg production. Um, it said a Steven Spielberg film. It said a Steven Spielberg production. At the end of the movie? Yes. All right. Because it couldn't say a Steven Spielberg film. There, uh, there were sort of stipulations by the Directors Guild and all sorts of things. But um, but I, I just want to ask you, watching that film just now, you've never seen it before, this first time, and I just want to know what it reminded you of. What sort of, uh, like, who do you think directed this film? It's, uh, it's kind of funny because there are lots of Ghostbusters sort of feeling moments in there. I guess it's probably because of the effects and some of the, uh, some of the music in there is kind yeah, of... Yeah, I think, I think they have um, Richard Edlund in common. Yeah. And it was around the same mm-hmm. time, 82 to 84. It's ILM. It's ILM, yeah. Um, so that would, yeah. Uh, there's in terms of the aesthetic, in, st- in terms of the filmmaking style, the uh, the 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 acting, the verite kind Listen, of uh, it, there scenes are with the family, Spielberg, you know, moments, and you know, even the the peril feels very sort of right. You know, not not it 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 always stops just short of feeling like like because. Because if you were to say to me what would happen in in a horror movie nowadays, one of those kids would have bitten it. Like so, that's the thing. In, or in, one of the parents. I think also in a horror movie back in those days, if you look at uh, movies, An eighteen or something. Yeah, if you look at like the the Amityville Horror or the Entity, um, or uh, or even the Changeling, there's there's it's a little bit more sort of nasty i guess yeah and uh i think the the decision to um keep everybody alive was a deliberate one because yeah. because it's amblin entertainment it is a spielberg production and uh spielberg co-wrote the script and he came up with the story so there is a, there is a sort of brand there but it's also got a very strong female lead yeah uh, you know she's very active and 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 you know, much more like her husband looks like he's, you know, falling apart all the time. You know, like yeah. his eyes are very black and, you know, he, he looks Sunken. like not in control at all. 
Uh, she's very in control. It uh, kind of reminds you of, you know, some of, like, like um, Marion, maybe, you know, some of the just more in control Spielbergian uh, For the layman size talking about Marion Ravenwood from Raiders of the Lost Ark, another Steven Spielberg film. I see this as part of perhaps a Spielbergian trilogy. There's uh, Close Encounters, there's this, and there's E.T. Yeah. Right? They all share a very similar kind of uh, kind of aesthetic um, and a suburban setting and, uh, mm-hmm. and that kind of sort of that uh, family unit, etc., etc. Um Two are about aliens, one's about uh, ghosts. They're all about a family sort of overcoming these uh, otherworldly um, kind of circumstances. Yeah. I feel like there's uh, there's sort of uh, thematic and aesthetic uh, consistencies between the three movies, uh, and I don't think that's an accident. I also think that they were all made um, sort of within years of each other. Uh, actually, Poltergeist and E.T. were made both in 1982, which, or released both in 1982. And I think the reason why Spielberg didn't direct this was because of E.T., that he couldn't be involved in two productions at the same time. Yeah. So my feeling is, and we'll get into this a little bit more in uh, in Trivia Corner, but uh, but my feeling is that to- Toby Hooper, <laughs> I can't say his name properly anymore, <laughs> Toby Hooper uh, was sort of a director by proxy. Yeah. Um, because I think Spielberg wrote the story for this movie and wrote, co-wrote the script for this movie and wanted to direct it, but but wasn't actually allowed to by uh, because of the rules of the Directors Guild. Yeah, let's get into it. So, what's next? You want to do notes? You want to do notes? Let's do notes. You want to do dreams? Let's do dreams. <laughs> um, so, the first thing that I've written here is they don't fuck about, right? Um, immediately, you the TV goes static and a little yeah. girl comes downstairs and there's like a creepy little conversation that she has with the telly right right and that's sort of um that that's nice because because after that there's a lot of um there's there's a lot of sort of uh preambling as it were so that's the thing it's it's it it basically goes by a very similar uh spielbergian structure okay if you look at et at the beginning of et you've got et landing yeah and then you've got a lot of like family stuff yeah. like it's it's not as much it's like an evening until et find until elliot finds et in the barn and then you've got a movie like Jurassic Park which starts off with a with a sort of a, a pre-bit shoot her. yeah shoot her shoot her shoot her and then a lot of character stuff before we actually get to the T-Rex uh you know attack yeah. which is the which is the beginning of the and and, act. and what's great about that movie is there's a lot of like philosophizing but also you get to know the characters intimately and i feel like you see the kids like sort of messing about at the at the breakfast table you have diane and steve in bed smoking pot and like giggling with each other yeah and, you and, know what i wrote here about the pot thing just the yeah. thing i think I, I said this out loud to you as well was <laughs> she goes or she's talking and i'm like toke on it toke on it what a waste of a joint to toke on it and i want to see the little bud go red and where's the smoke what are you doing so i identify with that a lot because uh, the other night my wife came in um from being out with the girls as it were and uh and you know where robbie the kid sort of appears in the doorway yeah. And they're like giggling and smoking pot and whatever. So my wife and I were having a, a chat in bed and suddenly my son appeared silhouetted in the doorway. And this is like one... It's horrible one, when they do that, One or one thirty in the morning. And I was just thinking to myself, what if we decided to fool around? 
You know, what What if that would have happened? And then so, it's never happened so far that, that a kid has, like, walked in on us. But, my God, that that could have that could have happened. Do you and not have just, a lock on your door? We don't close the door Why because we, want, we door? want to be able to hear the kids. And what happens, like... But your room is right next to them. It's not, though. Oh, because you've got a room leading yes, to that yes, room. Yes, 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 yes. Just the stupid conceit of apartments that were built that way. But at the reason. same time, if, if we want to talk or we want to watch TV or whatever, they're far enough away that we don't disturb them. That's fair. So, anyway, the point is that um, it's, a, it's a freaky moment when your kid who's all cute and adorable and everything, but suddenly appears silhouetted in the doorway and makes you jump six feet in the air. Yeah. Um, so, so there was that. But what I'm saying is that there's a lot of, there's a lot of that kind of thing that sort of brings you into the private lives of, of your characters and it gets you invested in them. Uh, and then all of the uh, all the supernatural shit goes down and, uh, and there is no messing about with that. There's a little mm-hmm. bit of like kind of discovery and wonder, which is you know par for the course with Spielberg yeah but then but then you've got it just goes straight into the uh, into the craziness yeah um, and while a lot of other haunted house movies even to this day look at Conjuring Conjuring 2 uh, they kind of like drip feed you and, and Woman in Black they kind of drip feed you little bits of creepiness yeah and then they start having incidents that sort of escalate each time mm-hmm. and this movie just like it does not escalate. Straight into it. it. Goes straight into straight it. Straight into it, and the, there's ILM, <laughs> like yeah. right into it with the ILM stuff. So, uh, but I, I appreciate that, and I, I've talked about this before with the uh, with the movie that uh, that my wife and I made. Um, it's very very important to have that that setup. I wrote down here the U.S. national anthem. Do you know the significance of that? Uh, no. Well, it's uh, it's sort of. I, I'm not of the anthem itself or the anthem in the movie. <laughs> the anthem being in the movie, because you, you hear it like like two or three times. Yeah. So what I read into that is that um, the uh, the Steve's boss says to him, "Oh, it's not uh, ancient tribal burial grounds, right?" Yeah. So that idea is carried over into Poltergeist too, where um, you find out the Cuesta Verde was actually built on top of ancient Indian burial grounds. Mm-hmm. My reading into that is that it was conceived to be ancient Indian burial grounds, and the 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 point of the national anthem is to kind of comment on that. That they sort of like took, took yeah that took land. land, and the U.S. took over Native American lands and and built on top of their 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 dead, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and that's the the punishment, which is the reason why you know you've got the the national anthem, and then the uh, and then the spirits come through. That's very interesting. I actually read into it just about the whole. I thought it was a a sort of scene setting sort of thing because you've got a very like Americana um, neighborhood white picket fence, white picket fence suburbia, thing going yeah. on, and so it's it's sort of like this is the American dream, and you know even in the American dream, crazy shit happens. Yeah, you know, like right. that, I thought that that was kind of. But that's interesting what you're saying. There's okay. a lot of like, there's a lot of that kind of foreshadowing in the first act. Like for example, Carol Ann's canary dies. Yeah. Um, and they bury it in a in a box. Um, and first of all, you've got you've got uh, the the kids sort of learning a little about bit about death. death. But also you've got uh, you've got Robbie who says when it when it decomposes, can we dig it up and see its bones? Mm. Which yeah foreshadows the uh, the whole swimming pool thing, and then obviously the digging up of the swimming pool. Which is so uh, later which is on a big deal. Uh, the, in the climax of the movie, um, Diane is sort of 
um, outside and she slips into the empty swimming pool. Which is, it's raining. So it's the, raining. So it's, full. so it's all muddy and it's very yeah. slippery and she falls into the, the empty pool area. There's no pool there. It's just like dug out for it. Yeah, but there is water in it. There's water in it, yeah. And, um, and she, you know, she's sort of like, is, is inside this sort of um, pooled rainwater, muddy rainwater. And, and suddenly, you know, coffins and skeletons start like coming up from the earth and and sort of scaring her and the, that sequence is actually very drawn out yeah she, you know she she almost climbs out and then she slips back in and then there's more skeletons and there's very, more coffins very, very spielbergian by the very way if you out. look at if you look at all of the indiana jones movies he, again i've said this before but he loves pulling the pigtails of yeah. the audience he loves to to sort of to gross out and that whole thing in with with marion and in raiders when they're in the well of souls and there's, and, snakes. And there's the snakes but but then she she sort of like runs into a room full of like skeletons yeah. to start clawing at her and etc yeah. etc et so there's there's uh there's the sort of notes of that in yeah. the, in that uh, in that uh in that finale but well i want to come back to the skeletons because there's a story behind that okay which is quite horrifying well actually. you know we've we've now given the listeners some context about the what we're talking about you know? right so, right, so right. now later when you hark mm-hmm. back to it they'll go oh yes we did discuss this yes thank you boys right um why is there a poster of alien in the kids room that was why also... is there a clown in the kids room yes um, and I've, also, I yeah, sorry, go on. The flashing is epilepsy-inducing. I'm talking about the uh, static on the TV set. Yeah, so there's a Very lot of that. There's a lot of effect. yeah. There's a lot of flashing lights. The 4K came out um, this week. Which you said you're not going to get because um, you think this transfer is fine. You saw the transfer. I did, it, no, it I'm, not, I'm not disputing that. I'm just saying yeah. how rare of a thing that is to come out of your mouth. Yeah, because look, to, to be honest with you, if I'm, look, if I'm watching the movie and it looks pin sharp and, and the colors look great and there's grain, you know, yeah. there's no grain removal or anything like that. Um, the, uh, the, the Blu-ray looks fantastic. I, I really enjoyed the, uh, the, the image in general. And yeah. the, uh, the 4K is $25. So, you know, I, if I if I do want to upgrade at some point, it has been remastered and they got rid of all those white speckles that are all over the print um, and uh, and the colors have been uh, have been regraded, et cetera, et cetera. But if, if I do want to buy it, I'll probably buy it when it goes down to, to sort of ten dollars. Right. Which, uh, some of these 4K makes have sense. Been. Makes sense. Frugal. Yeah. Frugal. Yeah. But anyway, on the front of the 4K box, there's a big yellow sticker on it that says uh, warning epilepsy mm-hmm. uh, because of flashing strobe lights, et cetera, et cetera. And while we were watching it, this time round, we were watching it in the dark, which I insisted upon because you know it's a quote unquote scary movie. It's pretty intense, the strobe lighting. Yeah. But what's interesting is that that's an aesthetic that I attribute to Toby Hooper. Like if you look at Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the aesthetic of that is is very different, more earthy. Um, when but did that come out? Seventy four. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is like eight years before. So, uh, but but when watching something like Life Force, which I think came out in '86, I want to say, um, there's definitely the, all those bright lights and the blue and the that sort of that 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 whole thing of the uh, the the sort of the wind machines blowing people's hair yeah. around, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I told you also to uh, to take Remember note of Joe. The, yeah, the black and white film on the TV yeah. uh, was a guy named Joe, which uh, Spielberg remade in '88 or '87, as uh, always. Cool. There you go. Just a little bit of uh, trivia for you there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the next thing that I've got written down, and you'll forgive me for saying this, is the tree vagina. Yes. So basically, uh, the kid, uh, Robbie, in his room is afraid of the tree outside the window. 
Uh, it looks like it's got faces on it. It looks like it's got actually a little mini erection there on the side. There's some stuff about that tree that I wouldn't like looking at outside right. my window. And in a very, over, <laughs> like I sat up and started paying attention. As soon as this thing, the tree comes crashing through the window, grabs him, like engulfs him with like branches, like fingers and pulls him outside and starts swallowing him. The parents run downstairs, they go outside, they see him in the tree, and then there's this shot of sort of like this aperture pocket. <laughs> opening pocket yeah. that is just like swallowing him. It's supposed to be a mouth, um, you know, that sort of... But it just uh, it just reminded me of what I've written as a tree vagina. But that, um, that's what I'm talking about, just skirting over that for a moment. Sure. But that's what I'm talking about when I say that this movie doesn't mess around, because that is the first big That's incident the scare, yeah. is that you know the tree reaches in grabs the kid out of his bed and pulls him outside and then tries to swallow him it's quite distressing yeah but that's like that's the first big uh, big sort of incident whereas you know conjuring might sort of take it easy in the first act conjuring know? all of the james one sort of conjuring and and uh um, insidious movies. So this is the thing, like, James Wan likes to hide things in the corner of his frame. Yeah. Uh, and Ari Aster also likes to do that as well. I think it's it's something that shows restraint, makes you sit up and pay attention, makes you lean forward. This movie is unabashedly, unashamedly not doing that. This jumps straight in. Um, even yeah. the thing with the chairs piling themselves up on top of the uh, uh, the table... And then, you know, Diane sort of marking on the floor where the chairs have been moving from and yeah. to. Her reaction is very ecstatic and excited and yeah, she's laughing. Because like she feels no... like she's uh, she's discovered a phenomena. Yeah. So there's no dread. Um, and then suddenly this tree just like comes through the window. Um, and it it is scary, but it's not a horror movie. So I feel like I that feel. was, I, f- I feel like that was by design. I think they wanted a PG-13 rating before the PG-13 rating existed. So we talked about how in 1984 you had the uh, the sort of the double whammy of Temple of Doom and Gremlins, uh, yeah. which basically, uh, those two movies basically invented the PG-13, um, where Spielberg called up Jack Valenti and said, you know, don't, Jack Valenti being the uh, the head of the MPAA at the time, uh, and they were friends. They had a they had a relationship. And he said, "You've got to have something in between PG and R." So Spielberg suggested the PG thirteen rating, and that has basically been the sweet spot for a lot yeah. of movies ever since. And this movie ended up as a PG, which, I mean, the face peeling scene, the skeletons, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, in the same way that um, in uh, in the UK, uh, Temple of Doom got cut to shreds because of uh, because of its content. But you know, Temple of Doom got a PG. It didn't get yeah. a fifteen. Um, and in the, and uh, and Poltergeist, I believe, got a got a PG in the in uh, in the US and a fifteen in the UK. So uh, so the, it's very kind of it's trying to fit itself into a, into a category. Yeah. Um, it's obviously not for kids, but at the same time, there is a kind of a family. Uh, aspect to it where it, where Spielberg's trying to push it towards yeah. the wider audience uh, but at the same time there's content in there that is definitely not for a family audience yeah. it's all about how to sell something but this movie got you know was very popular at the time so I can understand why it's uh, it's also very sort of effective in how it gets across it's you know there's there's almost like a 
there's a grief to what's going on that you know Carol Ann, the little girl disappears yeah and they can hear her and they think well the dad at least thinks that she's dead or something but he's not willing to say that it. she's and, crossed over you know that they they think that you know that there's this they don't want to say this thing and then when uh, Tangina yeah comes in and she says you know your daughter is alive and she's in this house that moment of uh, of relief right that sort of flows out of the screen yeah it's like you cannot these are very relatable yeah absolutely these, even though the uh the tree vagina is less relatable caroline going missing and uh and robbie being in danger uh affected me slightly differently this time around because you're a parent i'm a parent but also of kids with that kind of age difference yeah not the same age as exactly because robbie's supposed to be eight and caroline's supposed to be five but uh, they but both I've, look younger, right? So I've I've got a kid who's almost five, and uh, and he's a boy, and I've got a kid who's uh, who's two and a half, and she's a girl. Um, so there's a, there's a sort of a relatability to that that I could identify with the uh, with the, with the mother, with the father, um, and uh, yeah, I, I and also that that feeling of there's a moment where uh, Tangina says to uh, says to the the two of them like which which of you is Caroline more afraid of yeah which of you is she more intimidated by who who gives out the punishments and it turns out to be the father no no she says who are you more intimidated by and yeah. Diane says well Steve always gives out the punishments right. and his reaction is very on point yeah he goes oh come on you know like I never know, spanked the kids I know, he's, no but he also says like come on give me a break like you know that's yeah. not fair don't put that on me I right. have to be the uh, Someone like, has to be yeah. the disciplinarian, yeah. But um, he's very cool with the kids. That's also something that they're very, very careful to to set up. Because from the way that he looks in that sort of opening scene uh, in front of the TV, the opening shot where he's fallen asleep, you might think that he's a bit of a deadbeat dad. You know, you might think that he's had some, too much to drink, you know, like that, you know, his... He's fallen asleep in front of the TV and his his glass his cup sort of spills onto a plate on the floor. Like, you know, there there are tones here of maybe that he drinks. And then there's this whole thing where, you know, one of his buddies who's watching a, a ball game with him is bringing him beer. Yeah. And, you know, there's like all of them are drinking beer in the middle of the day and they're like watching a game. Yeah, but maybe it's, just, he's it, not... it's an American thing, though. Yeah, it's yeah, a no, Sunday and they're watching a ball game. That's yeah. great, right? But I'm saying there's a, almost a disconnect. But then there's that scene where the two of them are in bed and she's smoking, smoking, breathing near the joint. Um, <laughs> um, there's sort of the relationship between them is explored. And then the kid comes into the room, like you said, and, you know, he takes him on his back. Uh, back to the bedroom gives him a piggyback and he gets into bed with him and sort of you know helps him count out the different distance between the 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 lightning lightning and the thunder and you know uh his daughter says uh, there's a phone call for you daddy and he says you tell them to take a message right as like a, it's a great little exchange that, that right me out because i feel like you she, think was she was talking to the, talking to the poltergeist yeah, right? yeah. yeah i thought so too yeah but i'm saying that his reaction to his kids and then how he reacts when they're in danger sort of puts him on a very different footing from a dad like let's say from stranger things right which right. is a show that is very heavily influenced by movies like this from this time period um you know mike's dad is very awful just in how yeah. detached and boring and gormless he is and not connected to what's going on with his family and how much his wife uh, you know, uh, rolls her eyes when he talks 
all the time, every season. I think that's a drinking game that we could maybe make up. But my point is that, you know, he is very involved in it. And, you know, just to finish the thought and to loop back around to what we were saying in that scene where she says, who are you more afraid of? He takes that personally because... You know, he has a very good relationship with the kids. And I, I also, you know, if, yeah. if I were asked which one of us are the kids more scared of, probably me, because I'm more of the hothead and I, t- I tell them off more, right? Yeah. Shosh is very sort of zen and calm and collected and, you know. I don't think my kids are scared of either of us. I, I think that um, basically the <laughs> the issue is with my kids is that they... They, they they don't really give a shit. They're like, you know. Oh no, I don't think that my kids give a shit either. You know, I tell I tell my eldest to do things and I get annoyed with him and he goes, No, and he just does what he likes, right? But I'm saying right. I'm saying if I were asked the question, right, I'd say it was me. But, you know, I do have a very good relationship with my kids and they you know, they enjoy playing with me and I enjoy playing with them and we do like, you know, people piles and stuff like that. And uh, and if I were to hear that, I'd go, oh, come on as well. I'd also take issue with it, even though it's true. So after the whole tree vagina incident, right? Yeah. Why is no one staying with Robbie? Why is he's he's got a cut on his forehead, you know, where at the top of the bridge of his nose. He's covered in mud and blood and who knows, you know, tree vagina ick. And and like nobody's staying with him. He's because obviously they get, in because shock. Because they get called to to Carol Ann. She's been left by herself, and then she gets taken. Absolutely, so but they're then, distracted. But then, then you know they go looking for her, and they leave him by himself again. Yeah, they should. Someone should be carrying him, taking him. I'm just saying. There's yeah, some no, parenting but, holes here. They yeah. should take <laughs> take note. Yeah. Um, okay. I just think it's not realistic. Right, you you wouldn't leave, if your child had just gone through something you like that. You wouldn't you wouldn't kill a baby or whatever it is. <laughs> steal a baby or whatever. Okay. I made it better. Yeah, we'll move on to trivia corner in a minute. But there's a couple of things that I noticed. Uh, the jump cut. Yeah, which we'll uh, we'll come back to. Um, but uh, they just but, appear outside their neighbor's house. Or yeah, something. there's a uh, there's a, a a moment where they put Carol Ann uh, on the floor where the circle's been made. Yeah, uh, where the circle's been drawn, and she slides across the floor, and uh, and you see Steve sitting up against the wall, and he's kind of like shell shocked. And then suddenly there's a uh, there's a jump cut to the uh, not a jump cut exactly because it's not the same uh, the same shot, but uh, but it it suddenly cuts. It cuts very. Oddly. Very oddly. I went, what the uh, fuck? Yeah. Apparently that's something to do with Pizza Hut, that they said something about not liking Pizza Hut and they needed to cut it out. But because you can't just, you know, export a new version. Yeah. <laughs> so they probably just had to literally splice it out of the movie and, and just deal with however that left it. Oh dear. Uh, which sucks. Um, anyway, so that was the jump cut. Um, this house is clean. You looked at me. Because that is one of the things that you were talking about in the uh, in the intro, yeah, uh, or the cold open, um, because uh, that's uh, something that Ace Ventura says. What did I say to you? Losers, yeah, losers. Yes, yes. Oh yeah. Can you feel that, buddy? Huh? 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 I have exercised the demons. This house is clear. Losers. Get him out of here! Losers! Let's go, Ace! I also noticed that there's a um, similarity to a movie that was released around the same time called The Entity, mm-hmm. uh, which is about a woman who gets repeatedly raped by a, 
um, by a ghost oh, dang. Uh, or by an entity rather uh, I saw the movie it's uh, not not amazing okay. but uh, there's a moment in this movie where Diane gets pinned to the bed and you can see that the, something invisible is trying to pull up her shirt mm-hmm. um, and it's not terribly explicit but I can see that I also thought that as well it leads me to believe that either it's uh, to- Toby <laughs> it's either Toby Hooper's uh, sensibility I don't understand why you're trying so hard to say his Topooper. name. We've already said Topooper, and that's what yeah. his name is. Yeah, um, be so an adult about it, it's, please. It's either it's either Hooper's sensibility, Hooper, um, or it's uh, now. If you're gonna say his last name, you might as well just say it's Pooper's sensibility. Like, come <laughs> yes. on, um, be an adult. Can I just get this thought out? Sure, please, for sure. Fuck's sorry. Sake. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Go on. Yeah. Um, so it's either it's. You either... know what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh. either the director who is credited sensibility or it's Spielberg allowing himself to be a bit more off the wall because he's directing by proxy. Yeah. Like his name isn't on the movie in yeah. that way. Uh, but he did write it anyway. Um, I also noticed that uh, when um, Diane comes face to face with the beast in the uh, sort of uh, the sort of post finale finale, yeah. um, there's an MGM lion roar. Did you notice yeah, that? Yeah, I noticed that yep. too. Okay. Um, also, when Steve comes to the house, there is a uh, an Exorcist style shot, which is uh, which is the Exorcist coming to the to the oh, outside yeah, of yeah. the house with all the the fog and the. Yeah, you know, that's another film that I've never seen. You want to watch The Exorcist? We could do The Exorcist. That okay, would, that would be a good movie to uh, to do for this Halloween uh, season. Bonanza. There is a Halonanza. Halonanza. Um, Hamonaptra. So at the very, very end, there is a moment where uh, Dana is dropped off by a by a fancy red sports <laughs> yeah. car when everything's going down outside this, the this house. This is the eldest child. The eldest child. Who spends most of the movie shaking her head, wringing her hands and crying snottily, grossly. And, yeah. And she screams when she sees all of the, uh, all of the flashing lights. Yeah. And you can see quite clearly on her neck that she's got a hickey. I thought that that was... A nice little touch. Oh, well, that she'd been with her boyfriend. Yeah. Okay. That was a nice little touch. Anyway, that's all my notes then. <laughs> until until trivia corner. All right, speed round. Here we go. The I, next. You, mo- you rattle them off for me. I fucking buzz it. Okay. Okay. I will tell you. <laughs> so, the next one I've got written here is just one word: forehead. Whom's uh, the? I've forgotten her name, but the woman who's like the medium, who's not the medium. Tangerina. No, not chat. Not. Oh, not Tangina. Uh, Dr. Lesh. Dr. Dr. Lesh, yeah. Dr. Lesh so Dr. she Lesh? has a very big forehead. Right, moving on. Um, <laughs> the line, it's not an ancient Indian burial ground. Really? Okay. Um, the beast, Satan or Cain? Because here's what's interesting. It's presented in this one like it's, uh, like it's the beast. Like it's Satan or something. Right. But in the next movie, you're saying it's a crazy preacher called Cain. So the who I looked at pictures of, and it's quite scary looking. Yeah, yeah. Julian Beck was dying of stomach cancer when he made the movie. He died really not long after. So that skeletal appearance of his, Real. it's really interesting that he agreed to kind of use himself in that way. And yeah. he is the source of many childhood nightmares. Sure. Um, yeah. But I, I, the thing is that you see, there's that scene where the ghostly apparition comes down the stairs. Yeah. And on the video afterwards that they've uh, that they've shot, you can see all of these ghosts coming down the stairs yeah. that you couldn't see, you know, in real life, as it were, real life of the movie. And uh, they're all wearing hats. 
and it leads me to believe that they're all Kane's followers. Yeah, that's what I thought as well while right. I was watching it. Right. So and, and there's you all said these... you said it was a cult or something. Yeah, it was a cult. It was a cult, and he leads his cult down in underground, and they uh, and and they starve, and they die. Um, but it's a, it's a whole thing. thing. Here's the thing, right? Yeah. Indian burial ground. So wouldn't they be Indians? I I think that the uh, that the fact that the house was built on ancient Indian burial grounds, which I, I again, I believe that that stuff is all more uh, more clearly established in the sequel. Um, but I think that awakens something, which yeah. opens the door to the other side, which allows you know anything to sort of come through. And obviously, if the uh, if the cult was under was also underground, you know, so they would come up too, I guess. But uh, but anyway, so that was uh, that was that was my thought on that. But go on, carry on. Problem is, right? The horror beats are all done, right? So, for example, there's a scene where the clown's on the chair. And then he hears a rustling. Robbie, the child, hears a yeah. rustling. He wakes up. The The clown's gone. He um, looks on one side of his bed, you know, under the under that side of the bed. He's not there. And then the, it sort of slows down a little bit as he very cautiously lifts up, you know, the, the covers around, what, you know, what's covering underneath the bed, you know, and then huh, there's nothing there. <sighs> Music stops. Camera pans up. Clown's sitting behind him. Right? So that's been done over and over again. Here's the thing. This was probably one of the first ones to do that. This was like, 1982. I'm sure back in the day, this was the shit. Right. The idea is that you have uh, a, an ending. What is very easily identifiable to most viewers as a finale. Yeah. And then you have a second finale. Yeah. So you can see that if the, uh, you know, if the camera's taking a little bit too long to cut... Or the uh, or the movies taking a little bit too long to end. Nowadays, with our sort of knowledge of film history, you know that there's a coda coming. Yeah. Um, but the uh, but I'm sure the audiences in 1982 probably weren't expecting it. That's it. That's all you got. The rest of my notes are for VFX. Uh, okay. Uh, so uh, Cavill Corner. Cavill uh, Calvacade. Cavalcade. Calvacade. Cavill Cavill. Uh... Cover. Let's go to Trivia Corner. Trivia, Trivia Corner. When you're talking about the uh, directorial dispute, so I've uh, I've got here um, a little bit about that. Steven Spielberg worked on this film and E.T. literally back-to-back. Principal photography on Poltergeist ended in August of 1981. Then Spielberg took a few weeks off and began to work on E.T., while Toby Hooper spent 10 weeks in the editing room compiling his initial cut. Spielberg did supervise the visual effects for both films simultaneously, which were produced at Industrial Light and Magic under the supervision of Richard Endland and uh, Dennis Muren. And once post-production work on Poltergeist began in early 1982, Spielberg was in total control. He was responsible for the final edit of the film, Spielberg's usual editor Michael Kahn edited this film while Carol Littleton edited E.T. The final sound mixes and loops, the supervision of the visual effects, and the selection of Jerry Goldsmith as the composer of the score. Poltergeist and E.T. opened to theatres nationwide only a week between each other during the summer of 1982. Poltergeist on June 4th and E.T. one week later on June 11th. And Spielberg later said if E.T. was a whisper, Poltergeist was a scream. When questioned about who had the greater control over this film, Steven Spielberg or Toby Hooper, Spielberg replied, Toby isn't a take charge sort of guy. If a question was asked and an answer wasn't immediately forthcoming, I'd jump in and say what we could do, which basically means 
what yeah. they should do. Yeah, I directed it. Um, Toby would nod in agreement, and that became the process of our collaboration. Co-producer Frank Marshall spoke out to the press and claimed the creative force of the movie was Stephen. Toby was the director and was on set every day, but Stephen did the design for every storyboard and was only absent for three days during the shoot because he was in Hawaii with George Lucas. Hooper later claimed... Doing what? Well, they, they would go on holiday after the, release, after the release of each film so that they could escape the, uh, the craziness. Really? I, I would imagine... Okay. Yeah. That's, that's where Indiana Jones came up. Because they were on holiday in Hawaii, and Spielberg said, I really want to direct a James Bond movie. It was supposed to be, he wanted to do For Your Eyes Only. He was campaigning to do the next one. And, uh, and George Lucas said, hey, I've got something better than that. I've got a, a guy called, uh, called Indiana Jones. Or it was Indiana Smith at the time. And I would imagine that, uh, that this was, you know, around about the release of Indiana Jones, or around about the release of Raiders in 81, that they went to... Uh, that they went to sort of escape all of that because they weren't sure if it was going to be a hit. Right. Hooper later claimed that he did half the storyboards. Spielberg then sent a letter to Hooper to clarify matters. It read thus. Regrettably, some of the press has misunderstood the rather unique creative relationship you and I shared throughout the making of Poltergeist. I enjoy your openness in allowing me, as a writer and a producer, a wide berth for creative involvement, just as I know you were happy with the freedom you had to direct Poltergeist so wonderfully. Through the screenplay, you accepted a vision of this very intense movie from the start, and as the director, you delivered the goods. You performed responsibly and professionally throughout, and I wish you great success on your next, on your next project. In a 2007 Ain't It Cool News interview, Zelda Rubenstein discussed her recollections of the shooting process. She said, Stephen directed all six days she was on set. Toby set up the shots and Stephen made adjustments. She also alleged that Hooper allowed some unacceptable chemical agents into his work. What does that mean? And that during her audition... drugs. Yeah. And that during her audition, Toby was only (laughs) partially there. Uh, Comments from actor James Caron... Hang on, that is absolutely unacceptable. What, that he was that he was stoned no not that he was stoned that she said that he was stoned no that he is that he was stoned he obviously knows what a a, a joint being smoked should look like and he oh. couldn't give his actress <laughs> any fucking pointers on it oh my goodness Please okay continue. yes Actor James Caron, concerning a 25th anniversary Q&A event which both attended, categorized Rubenstein's remarks as unfair to Hooper. Uh, he said that uh, she laid into Toby and I don't know why Toby was kind to her. Uh, but the uh, but the thing is that uh, that Rubenstein said that he was you know he was definitely stoned mm-hmm. and uh, she was she was directed by Spielberg. That's the long and short of it. Um, the uh, and that's what I said to you at the beginning. I asked you what you felt the aesthetic and tone was, and I think that there's a there's a mix because as I said, there's a there's a lot of like sort of life force. What would become life force? That that kind of. Uh, visual style and the uh, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And some of the nastier elements I would attribute to Hooper as well, uh, having seen uh, having seen things like Life Force and uh, Texas Chainsaw. But um, but there's a overall Spielberg aesthetic that yeah. uh, that sort of dominates it the movie. permeates. Yeah. And also the fact that he wrote the script is, uh, is obviously like a, a big deal. Yeah. Okay, this one, this one is kind of tragic, but uh, there's uh, there's a long history of uh, of sort of discussion about a poltergeist curse. Okay. Largely because four of the cast members died between 1982 and 1988. What? 22-year-old Dominic Dunn, who was uh, who played Dana, uh-huh. so she was strangled by her boyfriend in her driveway in 1982. Whoa! Um, they were exes, and um, and 
he wanted to get back together and she didn't and he strangled her in the driveway jesus of the other three deaths all were the results of long-term chronic illnesses julian beck as i said died of stomach cancer uh, in 1985, Will Sampson, who uh, played the uh, Native American um, yeah. character in uh, in Poltergeist 2 and in uh, Cuckoo's Nest. Um, so uh, he died of complications from a heart-lung transplant. Heather O'Rourke, who played Carol Ann, died in what? 1988 after Poltergeist 3 at age 12 from a cardiac arrest caused by septic shock from a bowel obstruction what? caused by intestinal stenosis after being misdiagnosed with Crohn's disease in 1987. Oh, man. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it's, uh, I always get like a sort of a pang when I watch, uh, when I watch these movies because I always, I always see, I see Dominique Dunn and I go like, you know, she's, this is the only movie she ever appeared in. And it's, it's quite tragic. She was only 22. Wait, did she appear in the second one? No. She she was uh, she was oh, killed until in, in, in 1982. Ah, right. Like when the movie was released. What the fuck? Yeah. Well, thanks for keeping it light, Johnny. Uh, let's talk about the uh, let's talk about the jump cut. <laughs> uh, there is a jump cut from the scene where Diane is explaining to Stephen about the feeling you get when the spirit pulls you across the floor. The scene jumps mid sentence to the scene where they are both on their neighbor's doorstep again in mid-sentence. The reason for the cut was because in the original scene, Stephen says how he hates Pizza Hut. The scene was edited rather crudely after Pizza Hut took offense. This is something that I wanted to address, which uh, I said before when we were talking about the pool scene with the skeletons. So apparently, real human skeletons were used in the swimming pool scene since the crew decided it would be too complicated and expensive to get fake ones. Jobeth Williams was not made aware of this until oh, after the scene was yeah. finished. Now, I'm not sure that... Several violations right, in this movie. But I'm not sure that anybody on the crew knew. I'm not sure that Toby Hooper, Hooper... Toby Hooper? Hooper? I'm not sure that Toby Hooper knew. It wouldn't surprise me if he did since he was, like, blasted out of his head for the entire yeah. shoot. But um, I'm not sure that Spielberg knew. But I, I think it was a, a sort of a, a prop master or a, or somebody that sort of took it on themselves to to sort of like make budget cuts. What did he do? Exhume bodies? Um, Bruce Casson, uh, who is identified as the film's assistant prop master, said they came from Carolina Biological. Naming a, uh, he said, naming a medical and science supply company that sold human skeletons mainly for use in medical schools back in the 1980s. Replica skeletons did not exist, as far as I remember at the time, Casson said. Now, now they're common and relatively cheap, and the rush to the bottom line for cost will dictate. Holy fuck. That is nuts. Is yeah. there anything on how she reacted to that yes. lawsuit? In an interview, Joberth Williams, who played Diane Freeling, said, You have to understand that this sequence took probably four or five days to shoot. So I was in mud and goop all day, every day, for like four or five days, with skeletons all around me as I was screaming. In my innocence and naivete, I assumed that these were not real skeletons. I assumed they were prop skeletons made out of plastic or rubber. I found out, as did the whole crew, that they were using real skeletons because it's far too expensive to make fake skeletons out of rubber. And I think everyone got real creeped out by that's the idea disgusted. of that. Uh, um, no, that's spokes- disgusting. <laughs> a spokesperson, I words. A spokesperson for Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer uh, denied the claim. <laughs> oh but obviously it's been corroborated. There's another, uh, uh, there's another um, uh, crew member here who said that he acquired a number of actual biological surgical skeletons um hanging in class they're hanging they're for hanging in classrooms in study um i think the bones are acquired from india at any rate we've got 13 oh, of good. these and we dress them th- so they look like 
looked not like bleached clean bolted together skeletons but instead disintegrating cadavers and you know added sculptured rubber and things and to them so that they would have a kind of dramatic leering spooky aspect and not be dull joe beth williams uh, also said that the use of the skeletons created such an unease around the poltergeist set that it carried over into the making of the sequel poltergeist to the other side she added that co-star will sampson a member of the muskegee creek nation performed an exorcism on the set of that film interesting yeah and disturbing yeah i i just that, that was a long segment i just wanted to uh disgusting. yeah i just wanted to get that out because there's a lot of uh a lot of really interesting stuff um going on there <laughs> jesus the theme music is known as carol ann's theme uh by jerry goldsmith it was originally titled bless this house and was written like a lullaby as a contrast to the horror in the film it is kind of creepy in certain yeah. places uh there are lyrics apparently which can be found on the internet Poltergeist special effects and score were both nominated for Oscars, but both categories lost to Steven Spielberg's E.T. the Extraterrestrial. There you go. Everybody wins. Well, Spielberg, not everybody wins. Originally, as Toby Hooper, Steven Spielberg, and the screenwriters were plotting out the screenplay, Carol Ann was going to be killed in the first act and then haunt the house in the second. Oh, dang. They eventually decided this was too dark, no shit, and opted to have her kidnapped by the ghosts. In fact, eventually, so many of the dark elements were removed because Spielberg wanted the PG rating so the film could run as a double feature in theaters with the concurrently released E.T. the Extraterrestrial. So much so that there was only one death, Tweety the Bird, in the final movie and only a couple of injuries yeah i thought that the uh the guy ripping off his face was going to be a, a fatality there yeah in addition to the two times the beast appeared in the movie the face that appeared in the closet and the creature that guarded the kid's door the script had it appearing during the scene where the family investigators are looking at the tape of the manifestation the giant ghost that they saw visually slowly resolved itself into the image of a face of a cruel old man known in the sequels as reverend henry interesting they should have done that because that would have created a nice continuity uh, yeah yeah joe beth williams had a supernatural experience during making during the making of the film whenever she came home from filming the pictures on the walls of her house were crooked every time she fixed them they would hang crooked again zelda rubenstein also had an experience when a vision of her dog came to her and said goodbye to her how did it do that exactly did it sort of lift its paw and wave or perhaps hours later her mother called her and told rubenstein that her dog had passed away that very day keep it light keep it light make something up so that's it that's all i've got that was trivia the trivia corner this is why i'm so disappointed they re-released the the movie on 4k this week and there were no new extras and the extras on the blu-ray are very sort of general to the uh to it's a kind of a documentary about you know, supernatural occurrences more than about the movie. And I feel like this deserves and requires a proper, you know, one of those hour and a half retrospective documentaries to really unpack all of the shit that happened around the making of this movie. Who directed it? Who, like, who really directed it? Like, the, the, the various deaths that happened, the various supernatural occurrences, the, uh, you know, the, the, the argument over the rating, etc, etc, Zelda Rubenstein. <laughs> you know, all of that stuff is just really, really interesting to me, so I, I figured I'd give it a bumper trivia yeah, corner. Yeah, no, that was, uh, that was great. It's just horrific, most of this stuff. So, anyway. as we're uh, running sort of low on time, I think that we'll do a speedy uh cavil cavil car day no go for it what whatever 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 time you need don't uh, don't speed no, it up we'll, on my account we'll speed, we'll, we'll speed of hand speed of hand come with me and step into the spine tingling confusion known as size rambling cavalcade of nonsense <laughs> so uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Lovely. So, uh, basically, uh, there's a really nice visual effect right off the bat. Uh, with the arm coming out of the TV. Yeah. Uh, which is just, you know, good old uh, animation and compositing. Yeah. I love uh, those old opticals. They're I so, love it so much. They're so nostalgic for me. I, I really love that. But it's also, it's 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 just so fun to look at. Yeah. Um, it's very Ghostbusters-y as well. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. Um, I also really appreciate the uh, the beast effects at the end, uh, the one that's guarding the door. Yeah. Uh, they were probably recorded uh, underwater to get the flowing hair effect, if I'm not mistaken. It looks very much Most like it likely, was recorded yeah. in a water tank. The hair is... The hair is uh, th- this is the giveaway, is the hair and whatever tatters are sort of hanging off it, are sort of floating ethereally around it. And the way that they would get that effect is by putting a, a, a puppet in a water tank. Yeah. So yeah. how was the steak done? Is it... Is it this... I'm... I'm thinking, like, how I would do it is either have it puppeted with uh, wires that then get removed or to have some sort of, um, uh, what's it called, uh, animatronic sort of armature that's then, you know, pulling it along the table. Like, so how's that I'll, done? I'll tell you. It was a real stake. They laid it over a slot, which is cut between the tiles and the countertop. Uh, two fires, two fires, two wires were fastened to the bottom of the stake, and a special effects operator hidden under the counter simply moved the wires to make the stake crawl so like a caterpillar. That's what I was saying with the with the wires. Yeah. Yeah. So, so okay. I think they did hidden that underneath. with the uh, with the with the set of the kitchen. That they did that with the chairs that they had like wires mm-hmm. underneath the floor, and because the wires are so thin, so that you can't really see the slit. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So that that would probably be the same the same way that they. Uh, that they did all of the Muppets and all of, you know, Yoda stuff, all of the Yoda stuff in Empire Strikes yeah, Back. Yeah, the floor is, that they is would always have, raised. Yeah, that they would have a raised set and they would have puppeteers underneath it, yeah. That's kind of what I was thinking when I was watching it. Now, th- this is interesting, and, and we'll leave it, uh, you know, that the, no, two more things. Okay. So there's uh, the flying object sequence, uh, which is, it's very... Um, they're flying in a circle. Uh, yeah, as you can tell, it's like a, an optical um, shot, but there's some interesting stuff about that. It's very um, similar aesthetically to the, uh, and I've said aesthetically a lot here because I can't think of another word to describe it. That's but, the word. Yeah, it's very similar to the shot in ET when ET makes the makes the balls yeah, uh, rotate. Yeah, yeah. Here go. Um, so th- this shot took the sequence took nine months for the optical department to get oh, right. Holy hell! Um, and there's a reason for it is that they were. They had a wide range. I'm, I'm reading now, ju- just in case anyone's listening, you want to know like how I... A lot of the information that I get is mostly pulled from my understanding of visual effects from that time, but also there are websites that are dedicated to sort of breaking this stuff down. ILM are very, very open. And if you go to ILM.com forward slash visual effects forward slash name of the movie, um, Poltergeist, you know, whatever it is, or Ghostbusters, you can usually find some kind of breakdown on how they did certain shots. So uh, this is where I got my information for uh, from here. Um, so it basically says, with a wide range of tonalities in the background and dozens of objects flying in and out of the frames, Richard Edland called this the most difficult matting sequence he ever worked on. This shot was tedious because of the nature of the optics department during that era. If one element of a shot wasn't perfect after running the shot through the optical printer, the team had to start over. In the end, Poltergeist is a great representation of the kind of movie magic ILM is known for. I I think that there's some stuff there that still makes me go, whoa, you know, when I haven't seen an effect before, 
Um, like, for, did you see me when the yeah. house broke apart yeah, yeah. when it imploded? When it, I sat yeah, up and I was sucked into the, to the. I was like, "What the fuck? How did they do that?" Right. right. So there's some interesting stuff on this here. Uh, to accomplish the imploding house, ILM went through months of testing and development because they had to really figure out how to get this done practically. Um, and eventually a number, not practically in the shop, but, you know, there are practical elements here. You can tell this is not, this is before, you know, we were CGing things, right? Right. So, um, you know, to accomplish this, what they did was they took um, sort of like a model, a very detailed model of the house with steel cables, and it all extended into a sort of funnel-like construction, which was set up like a, it was set up and rigged to a vacuum system to capture any dust and fragments that wasn't being pulled through that funnel by the cables. So it was it was literally sucking things through this mm. hole, which creates that sucking effect that makes it looks like it makes it look like it's being pulled in. Um, it was all shot with a high speed camera and it was done in one take. And then the actors shot their part on a blue screen set. What's um, great is that you can't see the join. You can't and 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 the uh you can tell that it's an optical shot because of, you know, the quality of the Yeah, because it, the it print, the, but, yeah, because it degrades. Yeah. But here's the thing is that they they would they were putting it they spent uh, a long time rotoscoping the shot in and putting it together using a, an optical printer and I think that's really cool that they found such a like a novel way to uh to put that together. Yeah. Um and then there's one more shot that I thought was really cool. This is not a special effects shot, it's a practical shot. Uh, but it made me go, oh, movie magic, right? How did the headstones sort of come up out of the floor in the kitchen and they were spinning around and all of that and, like, the earth underneath the kitchen floor is upset as well. Like, the, it's a very well-put-together practical shot. And I'm, like, going, wires, people underneath, pushing it up. Like, I'm trying to figure it out, but I kind of don't want to know. Like, that shot also just made me go, whoa, because... There's some really cool stuff that now you just wouldn't see because they'd CG that sort of thing. They'd 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 make it a visual yeah. effect, and it and and it's just I'm sure I don't know that that's cheaper anymore. I'm sure that it could be, you know, cheaper to sort of destroy the set at the end. You right. know, anyway, they've got to take it down anyway. But uh, the issue is resetting and doing it in that. one yeah. shot. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, that, that's that's uh, that's uh, that's the end of my my VFX Chavavalcade. Uh, Come with me and step into the spine-tingling confusion known as size rambling cavalcade of nonsense. Okay, well that was that was really interesting. This movie is uh, is kind of it's it's always the anomaly for me. Uh, on my shelf, I've got all of the all of the Spielberg movies I own on one shelf, and Poltergeist is is there mm -hmm. because I consider this a Spielberg movie. It's right. the Spielberg movie that that wasn't. Um, uh, you know, so so but I also was, yeah. But like in terms of certain certain visual, it's Spielberg. <laughs> in terms of certain visual cues, uh, if you watch this back to back with uh, with ET and Close Encounters, it's unmistakable. Mm. So yeah, I, and I I I I enjoy this as a Spielberg movie. I enjoy this as a movie that I've not seen before. That's an '80s movie that I'm happy to say is still fun to watch and holds up pretty nicely. So yeah. I think that's really cool. I enjoyed that a lot. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice to, to introduce you to something and, and have you actually enjoy it. Well, cause... because I'm still looking, I'm able to to do that thing that a lot of people aren't able to do, which is to put myself back in that 
frame of mind when when I was watching and discovering things right. that were from the 80s, but in the 90s. But my point is that, like, when we were watching the movie, I, I was kind of nervous. I'm always, like, Why? sort of looking at you sideways. Because whenever I introduce somebody to a film and they they don't enjoy it, it kind of makes me feel responsible. Yeah, yeah. You know I, I get that with Shosh a lot. Yeah. Um, I get I get that with my wife as well. Yeah, but, but it's, not, uh, it's, yeah. Not, it's not something you need to worry about. Like, no, you know, if I'm, I don't like a movie, then uh, we'll just tell your mother that we uh, that we, we ate it all. We ate it all. Um, no, so I, I, I really enjoyed the fact that, that you enjoyed it, if that makes sense. Of course it um, does. And it was really cool because over the years, I've been sort of like collecting and amassing information about the sort of behind the scenes stuff. And it was it was nice to be able to sort of relate that over to you and yeah. uh, and have you go oh ooh, oh, oh. Um, so I hope that uh, all the listeners got a similar kind of experience yeah and uh, thank you uh, very much for joining us today that yeah. was uh, that was a fun episode to it do it was a fun episode thank you very much to the listeners by the way big shout out to our listeners we have a couple of uh, regular listeners uh, Shakas and his wife Shakas Shakas as he will be known. Um, and he, uh, he and his wife apparently, uh, sit down of an evening when an episode comes out and they listen to it and they, they laugh together and they pause it and they debate what we're talking about. And, you know, that sort of thing is, uh, is a lot of fun. They also, you know, Shakas also posts on, uh, on the Facebook group, which is, uh, a lot of fun. So thank you very much for your support. And any of you out there who are listening, uh, please feel free to do the same thing. Uh, you know, Contact just let us, us know. Let us know. Subscribe. Uh, tell us rate. what movies you want us to do. Yeah. As well. Tell us what movies you want us to do. They all go on the list. The list just gets longer. It's not getting shorter. <laughs> yeah. And now we've just added one, The Exorcist. Lovely, lovely. <laughs> we thank you for listening and hope you have a wonderful rest of your day or evening. And I actually couldn't give two shits if they enjoy the rest of their day. Is that okay to say? I feel like being honest with the audience is is sort of like a a must in this sort of situation. Why, why, why you got to do that? What? Why you got to? No, we're, we're being nice. I'm not going to pretend that I care what happens in their day to day lives. Like you know, I care that they come and they listen and they give me free stuff, right? But well, you know, what, I don't. What free stuff do you get? Well, I don't get free stuff, but I would we, like. We to don't get even free have stuff. a Patreon. If we had a Patreon, then you know we might be able I to mean, get free stuff. Look, you you said that you want to mention your listeners, you want to mention Shakas, and you want to give yeah. them a shout out and okay. all that kind of stuff. But normally, podcasters mention them in the context of Patreon because they're being paid to. Shakas oh, isn't paying me a penny. Pay- I think he would if there were a Patreon. Oh really? Yeah. We'll talk about that afterwards. Off the air. Bye. Bye. What's our seat number?